Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Richard and I continue our discussion of the biblical functions shepherd and sheep, exploring these roles in context of Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel's critique exposes the corruption of Israel's shepherds, but also undermines common assumptions about the role sheep play in the life of the flock. Do sheep have a career path? I'll give you a hint. Go with the obvious answer. We're talking about sheep. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 42 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Again, we are working through Ezekiel in our church school program, the Ephesus School, and this past Sunday, Dr. Benton gave a lecture on Ezekiel chapter 34, and it was fascinating, to me anyways, because just a couple weeks ago, we had a great podcast dealing with the concept of the shepherd in Hebrew, the shepherd flock, shepherd of flock. And it was a nice introduction to this concept, which is expanded upon in Ezekiel, and you started building on our conversation. So I thought today it would be nice if we continued that exploration of these themes related to shepherd of flock in Scripture. When we have these concepts that we're looking at, like the shepherd, it's always imperative to look at it in the context of a text. Because when we look at it in the context of a text, we see how it functions. You and I, we often talk about how it functions, what's functional, how is it functional. Those are terms that we use a lot, and I think it's important to look at it within this text. And here we have a text, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds. So shepherds, 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 shepherds. It's mentioned two times in one verse. And there's an important understanding here because when we think about shepherds, oftentimes we use shepherds as simply a metaphor for leaders. A shepherd is a leader. But isn't that an example? And this is, I think, an important reminder for anyone who's interested in studying scripture or approaching the study of any literature while remaining faithful to the scientific method. All of us, I think, in our default setting as human beings, tend towards platonic ideals. We have concepts in our head. We have the idea of the shepherd in our head. We have our idea of the Bible in our head. We have our idea of Ezekiel in our head. And it's so difficult each time we approach these questions to force ourselves not to think about our concept of something as we read, but to allow the text to define what's in our mind. And that's really what you're saying here. How can we allow the text to define how a shepherd functions according to the text, in the text, for the purposes of the text, as opposed to coming with our general concept of a shepherd that's just kind of out there with our concept of whatever. Right. As human beings, we tend to oversimplify. And the Bible always complicates things. 
So in a very prescriptive way. Right. And so there's always a tension between the human mind and scripture because we tend to oversimplify and it will continue to complicate matters. So that's why talking about the concept of the shepherd and then looking at it within the specific context is essential. When we think of leadership in American culture, we often think of leading from behind and we think of the leader as first among equals oftentimes that's kind of how we think about the leader yes we have a boss but that boss is a human being just like us and we think of the boss as shepherding the people but we have to understand that in the biblical context there's something very basic the shepherd leads sheep the sheep will never be a shepherd it's, and, and you're not a shepherd when you're not leading sheep. Right. You're not a shepherd without a flock. Oftentimes, when we think of leadership, we think of a leader as someone who's like training people up to become future leaders. You know, we talk about in teaching in the U.S., you know, you are training the future leaders of our society. We talk this way. But in the scriptural sense of a shepherd and sheep, the shepherd will lead the sheep, but the sheep will never be shepherds. There will never arise one sheep who will replace the shepherd to lead the rest of the sheep. It just won't happen. If you're really allowing your mind to be controlled by the literary construction of Scripture in this example in Ezekiel, you realize how ridiculous it sounds to say one day the sheep could become shepherds. I mean, this really is an ontological difference. The shepherd knows what's on the other side of the mountain. The sheep don't. The sheep can't. Their brains are not able to think of that. They simply can't conceive of it. So the shepherd plays a role that the sheep can't. One of the roles of the shepherd is to make sure that the sheep are safe. Sheep can't keep themselves safe. The natural defense mechanism of sheep is to clump. And so if a wolf comes, they clump together. The weakest and the smallest are on the outside. They're the ones that get eaten and the ones on the inside stay safe. Wolves can only eat so much. Therefore, you just make sure you have more babies faster than the wolves can eat them. That is the only defense mechanism that sheep have. Once sheep are taken from the wild and sheep are now a source of livelihood for a shepherd, the shepherd has to keep them safe so that the babies and some of the weaker ones aren't eaten. So then in those cases, the shepherd has to put himself or herself between the danger and the sheep. And sometimes the danger is a cliff because the sheep, if they keep moving, will just keep going off of the cliff. And sometimes it's a predator and the the shepherd has to put himself in harm's way between the predator and the sheep. This is the role of the shepherd, to keep the sheep safe, to make sure that they can survive. Then to bring them to where there's grass, to bring them to where there's water, so they don't die of starvation or dehydration. That's it. The shepherd keeps them alive. Now, in this passage, what is happening is the leaders are bad shepherds. How are they bad shepherds? They're bad shepherds because they are not focused on keeping the sheep alive and keeping the sheep safe, but on eating the sheep and taking advantage of the sheep. Because one thing is, sheep are delicious, they're right there, they're easy to kill, you just kill one and you eat one, they're wonderful. So in our last conversation where we discussed passages from the New Testament, we talked about how the shepherd could do this. We talked about how when he celebrates, I mean, how is he going to celebrate? He would use one of the animals. We also talked about why he would want to keep 
the one lost sheep, it wasn't because the one lost sheep is special, but because he wants to keep all his money in his pocket. Now in Ezekiel 34, something very specific is happening. He does want to make sure he keeps all of the sheep. It doesn't necessarily mean he's the one who's going to be able to eat them because here we see that he's being challenged by the Lord. The shepherds are acting like the flock is theirs, but the Lord is reminding them here that the flock does not belong to them that they are employees of the owner of the flock. See, and I think this adds further context to our initial discussion and illuminates the New Testament readings we discussed about the lost sheep and so forth, because I think there's more desperation. It's one thing if you have $10 and you lose a dollar and you want to go find your dollar so you have 10. It's another thing if the $10 don't belong to you. It becomes a much more serious matter. Mm -hmm. It's somebody else's property. Yes, what if it is not yours? When Jesus tells Peter to feed my sheep, he's charging him to be a good shepherd, not to take advantage of them, but to make sure that they're safe. At my house, you have to go and get a scoop of food and put it in the dog's bowl before you leave for work in the morning. That's not what it means to feed sheep. To feed sheep means to walk with them and take them to the pasture where they can go and they can eat. It's a big job to do. And it's the main thing that the shepherd has to do. Most of the time, the shepherd is not having to defend the sheep against lions and wolves. And so keeping it safe is something that's really important. So the shepherd has this specific job. And here they've fallen down on the job so that the Lord finally says, fine, O you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. I'm against the shepherds. I'll require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. And it's probably their shepherding the flock. So neither shall the shepherds feed themselves anymore. For I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. For the shepherds, these sheep are simply meat. There's simply something that can be consumed for their own pleasure. And isn't this a recurring theme in scripture again and again that those who are in a custodial position, those who are responsible for preserving the body politic of those congregated around the scroll of the Torah, instead of tending to those congregated by explaining or explicating the content of the Torah, actually preaching what they're commanded to preach, they, as you have said many times in Hosea, they act in such a way that they do the opposite. They exploit their flock. Exactly. That is what this is. This is against exploitation. In 1 Samuel 8, when the people asked for a king, the Lord told them what was going to happen, that they're going to take your children, they're going to tax you, they're going to take all your goods so that they can keep their army going. And they said, that's fine with us. We want to be like the other nations. But the Lord specifically warned them, if you have a king, the king will exploit you. And so the punishment that the Lord gave to the people was precisely what they wanted. He allowed them to have a king, and the king was there to exploit them. A moment ago, we were saying that the sheep can never be the shepherd. There's this ontological break. We don't want to get too literal in our metaphors. The point is that if you are functioning as a member of the body politic, you cannot also function as a shepherd. Paul, when he functions as the Lord's prophet, the Lord's messenger, his apostle, he cannot function as a member of the church. Right? It's all a question of what you're doing when you're doing it. And I think that because we tend to think in terms of platonic ideals and categories, we assume that I'm a manager, so therefore I'm a manager. No, you're not a manager per se. You're a manager when you are functioning as a manager at work. You cannot be a manager and a parent at the same time. 
if you go home and talk to your wife and your children as though they are part of your team at work, you're not going to be very successful at home. You need to function correctly in the situation in which you find yourself. We do have this break between what it means to be a shepherd and what it means to be a sheep. And that's going to be clear in the mind of the reader of this text. Then the question is, okay, well, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not the king. I'm not the leader. I'm just a guy who works in an office. So how does this apply to me? Obviously, this applies to like the president or maybe the Senate or something like that. But how does it apply to me? Well, obviously, it doesn't. However, then in verse 17, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I judge between cattle and cattle, between the rams and the he goats. And so now, yes, you're just the sheep. You're just the flock. You're not the shepherd, but that doesn't mean you're off the hook. Yes, the shepherd is in charge of making sure that the sheep are safe. But what does it say here? Does it seem a small thing that you've eaten up the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pastures and to have drunk of the deep waters, but you foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what you trod with your feet and they drink that which you fouled with your feet. So there's a judgment against the strong within the flock that they have a responsibility not to crowd out the weak of the flock. I will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle in verse 20 because you thrust aside with shoulder and pushed all the diseased with your horns till you scattered them abroad. So those of you in the flock have a responsibility. Those of you who are strong inside the flock do not have the right to crowd out the weak. And this is what would happen when the sheep would naturally defend themselves. The strong go on the inside and the weak go on the outside. And they're the ones left out there to eat. The strong ones are the first ones to the water. They drink the water. And then after walking around in it, now there's mud and stuff coming up. And so the animals in the back of the flock get the muddy water. And this is where individualism breaks down for scripture. Because the fact that you have a few strong, healthy sheep brings no benefit to the shepherd of the flock. Because if those few strong sheep are jeopardizing the health of the totality of the flock, they're as bad as a sheep that's crippled or diseased. Well, and don't forget, this is still with the idea that this flock belongs to the Lord. If you are a sheep that prevents the health or goodwill of another animal within the flock, this is not a member of the flock that you can say yay or nay about. This member of the flock still belongs to the owner of the flock. Right. You'd have no say over what happens to that one. You're only beholden to the owner of the flock, the husbandman or whatever you want to call him. Right. This is the duty of those who are strong within the flock to take care of those who are weaker within the flock. It's a classic paradigm in scripture. There's always somebody weaker than you. There's always somebody worse off than you. And if that is the case, you are responsible for how you act towards them. You are responsible to take care of them. And so the judgment is against the shepherd. And then you can say, okay, I'm just a sheep. I'm off the hook. No, you're not. You're never off, you're never the, off the hook. I mean, Ezekiel makes that clear again and again. You have this famous chapter about personal accountability, which systematically emasculates all of the popular discussion about who caused my problems? Was my dad mean to me? Was my mom this? Was it the fault of those people that could? No, it's very clear in Ezekiel that every generation is responsible for its behavior. You can't blame the generation before or blame the generation after. You are held accountable. And here you see this theme again. Just because the shepherd is having issues with the master, it doesn't mean that the sheep can sit back and say, ah, oh, it was the shepherd's fault. No, because there's something within your scope of responsibility also. 
that you will have to answer for. Right. So the thing that's interesting here is then it challenges this ontological notion that we were talking about at the beginning. Ontologically, there is a difference between the shepherd and the sheep. But then scripture undermines this by saying, oh, there's a difference between sheep and sheep. There are those who push out the others, and there are those who are pushed out. It's based on how they function. That's the key. Exactly. There are those who scatter, and there are those who are scattered. So your role as shepherd is different than that of sheep. But as sheep, which role are you fulfilling? So no one is let off the hook in the end. Everyone has a responsibility. If you're the shepherd, take care of the flock. If you're a sheep, take care of the weak. But everyone is on the hook. It's interesting because there is, in effect, a wall of separation, a break between the station, shepherd, and sheep, just as in the New Testament, there's a break between the one who is a slave, a pedagogos, and Paul, who is the free apostle, the Roman citizen, bringing the gospel. I mean, if you are a pedagogos, you may be technically the strongest or the most trained of the slaves. You could even be the smartest or best educated. But you can't become Paul. You cannot become the apostle. There's definitely a wall of separation. And I think this is something that in a Roman setting or even an ancient Near Eastern setting was easily grasped because people couldn't change their situation in life as easily as we as Americans imagine. And this is why when Jesus goes and he lifts these people up, he's not just doing a nice thing for this guy. He's doing something that's normally impossible. It's as impossible as making a sheep into a shepherd. When Paul talks about himself as a slave, or when Exodus, even though he was a free Roman citizen, he's not free, that counts for nothing under God's dominion. But when he talks about himself being a slave, he's talking about it in terms of Exodus where you were set free from slavery to Pharaoh, not so that you could simply do what you want, but so that you could become the slave of God under his instruction. Right, you didn't become a free man. But the fact that scripture calls you a slave, and we have it even now in our prayers, we say again and again, unfortunately in English it says the servant of God, the servant of God, the servant of God, but in Arabic, the slave of God, Abd Allah. In Hebrew, right, it's the slave of God, in the original Greek, you are the thulos of God. This language is technical so that when you hear it with Roman ears or ancient Near Eastern ears, you realize already how your status as a slave in God's household is connected to your status as a sheep. So this break that you're talking about, this line of division, is no joke. And I think that when we allow ourselves to lose sight of these facts, it really crosses our transmission wires with Scripture. In Philippians, when it talks about how Jesus made himself a slave, this is no joke. It isn't, oh, he became really humble. No, becoming a slave is a legal distinction. It's like giving up your passport. You're no longer an American when you give up your passport. You gave up your citizenship. You're now living in the U.S. illegally. When Jesus allowed himself to become a slave, yes, there was a legal mechanism in which a slave could become a free person. However, they had to carry a piece of paper around with them for the rest of their life, and if they lost it, they were essentially a slave again. Jesus made himself a slave. This is impossible. There's no legal way to say, I'm going to make myself a slave, and you go to the courts and you get a piece of paper to make yourself a slave. It doesn't make any sense. It's like the shepherd getting down on his four legs and becoming a sheep. It doesn't make any sense. And so this is the clear distinction we have to keep in mind. Once we have that clear distinction in mind, 
and we really understand that difference, Ezekiel 34 then comes in and breaks and says, yes, okay, fine, you're a sheep, but you still have a duty as a sheep. Correct. You're not off the hook. You're not off the hook. You can't sit back, you know, like someone under a totalitarian regime and say, I'm not doing anything until I get a call from the president. That's not how it works here at all. Each one is accountable for how they act with what they have been given according to God's Torah. Exactly. It was a great discussion this week. I continue to be amazed by the depth of Ezekiel. We really pushed through a lengthy section in Ezekiel that dealt with all of these seemingly monotonous tirades against the nations. But as we worked through it, we discovered that these were not simply monotonous tirades against the nations. There's information here. There's context. There's insight. There's meaningful biblical symbol and interplay that builds up to these great discoveries like the emergence of the importance of the shepherd of flock paradigm in Ezekiel. So this is fantastic. The tirades against the nations were not against the nations per se. They were against the leaders of the nations. After the tirades against the leaders of the nations comes the tirade against the shepherds of Israel. So whatever you do, those of you listening to the podcast, please, when you get to a section of scripture that seems boring and irrelevant with dates and names and genealogies or whatever, don't fall in the trap of flipping the page to get to the parts marked in red. Read the whole story. Read the whole story. Thanks for watching. Thank you very much. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.